Hi, this is Pastor Corey. I hope this podcast will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and most importantly, help you draw closer to Jesus. Thank you for listening. As many of you know, I was a pastor and a traveling evangelist for 15 years, and I've been in the room a few times when people passed from this life to the next. And when you're in the room with a believer, they seem to know. And even hospice care people will tell you that people in their sickest hour seem to get better about 24 or 48 hours before their last breath. When my father passed in, on the last day of 2001, we were in a hospital room, and he was supposed to have, what do they call it, when you have five bypasses, whatever that word is. He's supposed to have five bypass. Um, and they couldn't get his heart started again. I'd been in the hospital many a times with peop- other people. And it's never good when they pull your family to another room and say, can we speak to you privately? Because they're afraid about what they're about to tell you is going to make you so hysterical. They don't want you doing it in the waiting room with everyone else. So they took us into the other room. My brother was in another part of the hospital, and they came in, and I said, whoa, if you're if you're about to give us bad news, wait. She said, how quick can he get here? I said, give us 10 minutes. So for 10 minutes, we knew bad news was coming. They came in the room and said, we've done everything we can do. He's not going to make it. And I said, listen, put everything back. Connect everything the way it goes. Sew him up. Cover him up. And get us in a room with him. They said, you don't understand. I said, you don't understand. Put everything back. Make every sure everything's connected. Make sure everything is where it's supposed to be. Cover them up so we don't have to look at it. And get us in a room with him. And they said, well, it'll be a few minutes. I said, we're not going anywhere. About 10 minutes later, there laid the body. a man who'd pastored and preached for 30 plus years. So pumped, full of drugs. He'd have been so mad to see that his double chin looked like 10 chins now. We gathered in a family circle and I looked to my brothers and my sister and my mom and said, what is the prayer we're praying? Are we going all Smith Wigglesworth up in this place? And Smith Wilkesworth is known for taking those that were dead and throwing them up in the wall and said, you better get back up in here. I said, or are we praying for the grace to accept the situation? To this day, I don't know why it came out of our mouth, but we seem to all say the grace 
to accept the situation. And so I was prepared. I mean, he was, nothing was in that body. I was prepared to slap him, throw him around. Like, what was he going to do? Like, he wasn't in there. Like, and I figured even if I threw his body against the wall and commanded him back to come, even if he didn't come, no one would know but my family, and they weren't going to tell the story. So I was prepared to pray whatever the vote was. And I, to this day, I've had this conversation with my sibling and my mother several times. Why did we vote? Pray that we get the grace. Why didn't we give it a whirl? And I can't help but think that even in that hour, there was a spirit that came upon us to accept the situation. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I've been asked and tasked this morning to preach to you a message to encourage you in the power of a miracle. And it might seem weird that I started off with a story about a man who didn't come back to life. But I want you to know from the start, the most painful thing about seeking for a miracle is when they don't come. There are a lot of ministers in a lot of churches who really believe in miracles, but they don't want you to be upset when they don't happen, so they don't talk about them. Because how many know people get healed from cancer? How many know people die of cancer? Like, we, we have to be rooted within the reality that while miracles are real and they do happen and they are at our exposal, sometimes people do die. And we have to have the heart and the compassion to understand that one being resurrected and another one having a funeral does not mean that God loved one more than the other. Was passionate. Oh, the clock's going. I haven't started yet. Those eight minutes shouldn't be counting against me. Um, I was pastoring my first church, and well, let me tell you a different story because it's even worse. I was a youth pastor in Miami, and we had literal gypsy, gypsies who had come to the church, were first generation Christians, had never heard of Christ before. They were not only from Egyptian, but they literally traveled, and they had to give up their entire livelihood when they came to Christ, because what they knew how to do best was con you. That's what they did. So in a period of about two or three years, God had really blessed them, and they lived in a nice home, and they had some nice things, and they had a nice car, and they had the pride of the family, five-year-old junior. And one day, five-year-old junior was just in the yard on his roller skates. And have you ever seen those big face statues. Egyptian people loved those. And they had two in their yard. And just a freak accident that someone much wiser than me could only explain. A little junior who the family name was to ride on rode his roller skates into one of those face statues. And in a way that probably wouldn't happen one in 10 million times, that statue fell upon his head and the sidewalk that walked up to his walked up to his door you tell me what you say when the 2 year old christian family says why god the only answer is 
that you just have to trust God to get you through. There's no, please don't tell people, well, maybe you sinned in your life. Look, God's son died at 33. Move on. Please don't tell people, God is using this to be your testimony. Maybe, but right now I'm more in the moany part than the testimony part. We have to be, even when we talk about miracles, we have to be compassionate enough to recognize that not everyone gets one. And I'm going to say something I, I, I didn't used to say 20 years ago. If you're not willing to have the same attitude as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I know my God is able, but if not, I'll still serve him. Then I suggest just don't seek the miracle. I'm going to tell one more not-so-great story, and then I'll try to build your faith up a little. When I was a kid, the church my dad pastored the longest was in Florida called New Life Foursquare Gospel Church. Um, it was really in Hudson, Florida. My dad would tell you it was in Bayonet Point. That's a long story. And there was a dear sweet lady, I don't know, 10, 15 years of my growing up, whatever it was. And I've maybe told the story before. Her name was, her name was Wanda Van Dyke. And back in those days, we called each other brother and sister, or your mama slapped you. Anybody that old? Sometimes Sister Wanda would come in and you wouldn't notice the difference. But Sister Wanda had Parkinson's disease. Sometimes it took her an hour from the car to her seat. But anytime we had a guest minister, anytime we asked for prayer, or anytime we anointed the sick with oil, there would be Sister Van Dyke. And as part of the ministry staff, it would be frustrating to see other people get their ears opened or their eyes opened. And there would be Sister Van Dyke shaking, and I don't mean under the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I don't know if Sister Van Dyke knew this. But there's been a many a times in my hour of need, I thought, and I say this with all respect, if Sister Wanda can waddle in, so can I. So I must say, before we talk about miracles in the supernatural, that I am aware it doesn't always happen. I am aware that at some point, if Jesus doesn't come to get us, we're all going to pass from this life to the next life. I am aware that there is a sickness unto death. I am aware that one of the rarest miracles in the New Testament, you look through, nearly every miracle that God did in the New Testament was done through the hand of a man by the supernatural use of God through the hand of a man except when Peter got delivered from jail. An angel showed up, woke him up, put on his outer garments, walked him to the house where they were praying for him, and they had such faith, they went, it must be his ghost. Now, before you're mean on them for not believing, they were aware, and we don't preach this part of the story, that three days earlier, John was in the same prison and was beheaded. 
and no angel showed up for John. So I don't want to discourage you and tell you sometimes the angel doesn't show up. But I can tell you, and I'll, I'll tell this and then I'll, I'll read the scripture and I'll move on. My, cl- my closest female friend all through high school, we met in seventh grade at the beginning of this whole change in our world, was rushed to the hospital because she couldn't breathe, and they sent her home. A couple days later, she couldn't breathe again. They rushed her to the hospital. A couple days later, they sent her home again. Next time they sent her in an ambulance, unconscious, and she never came out. The last conversation I had with her was about four or five months before she passed. And the entire conversation was, Craig, I think I missed my calling. I should have been a preacher. Now, I confess to you that while I haven't seen her in the flesh since June of 1991, we talk only a few times a year. There's a couple things in life you know. You only get one mom and dad. You don't get to pick them. And by the time you reach 30, 40, 50, you don't get 20, 30-year-old friends. You can make new friends. You can make new acquaintances, but you do the math. If you meet a new friend at 50, you're going to have to make it to 80 before that new friend is a 30-year-old friend. Right? So they don't, you can't just go down to Walmart and get you a 30-year-old friend. And one of the things that I appreciated, her name was Tara. One of the things I appreciated about Tara is, and it led to many fights in high school, is that Tara would tell you exactly how she saw it. And in this day of politically correct, we don't want to offend people. And and I don't want to offend any people, but I'm going to say this anyway. We take a great story like the success of Ancient Mama, and then we keep Miss Buttersworth, but we can't have Ancient Mama anymore. Like, study that lady out. I mean, she built the business when African-American women did not. This is not a story that needs to go away, especially in northern Idaho. But that's another story. I'm tired of people canceling things we need to learn from. Right? Oh, don't let me wander in there. I'm, try- I'm trying to get here, and I haven't even started yet. My point is, is that it hit me hard. It still hits me hard. I can't believe she's gone. I don't understand it. She left behind two or three kids. She, she just started going back to church. She was raised in a church. Her mom sang in the Florida Mass Choir. Uh, her mom was an angel among women. And she just sort of started connecting her life back to the Lord. She'd lived like five or six years as, as Darnell instead of Tara. And she was back in church, not saying she was perfect, not saying she was making choices like I'd make, finally had her own business, seeing things to be going well, and then poof. She's gone. I confess to you, I don't understand it. But what I do understand is what we sang this morning. God doesn't just make a way. He is the way. Can you say amen? While I don't always understand it, God doesn't just make promises. He's the promised keeper. God doesn't just perform healing. He is the healer. 
He doesn't just talk about breakthrough. He is the breakthrough. And sometimes in life, the key to your new home is to hew down some trees. All right, stand with me. You've rested long enough. Ephesians chapter 3. God's purpose in all, uh, uh, verse 10. God, I'm reading from the NLT. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its riches, in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into the presence, into God's presence. I could preach an hour there, but that's not my message. What he's saying here is that you yourself now have a direct line to God himself through himself by what happened on Calvary. Just say amen, and that'll help me move on. Sometimes when my students are being really rude, I'll just look at my students and say, look, say, I'm sorry, Mr. Shorey, it won't happen again. And I'll look at him, like, even if you're lying, if you say it, I'll feel better. So if you say amen, that'll just help me move on, even if you're lying. Don't lie, but if you are, it'll still help me. So please don't lose heart because of my many trials here. I just want to say in passing because I've already touched on this with all the stories to start with. The reason Paul says don't lose heart is because he's aware that life has a way to make it capable that if you're not strong in the Lord, you can use, lose heart. Amen. If you don't think you can lose heart, like, did it, have you heard some of the testimonies that have been on the video? How many, anybody else cry? Like, I've been through some stuff, but nobody burnt down my house and took my kid while I lived in a tent. Where's that sister? I don't know where that sister is, but, man, I've been chewing on your tent. Like, and she's still here. Like, I went home and had to repent. Like, I'm not sure. Don't look at me so holy. Are you sure? I mean, I love my wife and I love my parents, but, I mean, you can get a new wife. Don't look at me like that. Half of us have done it. But where I'm headed is you can't get you can't replace kids. One kid doesn't replace another. Somebody say amen. And you'll learn how much I really love her because I'd be dead without her. I didn't mean it as a disparity. I told you just say amen and I'd move on. So please don't lose heart because of my many trials. Here I'm suffering for you. Turn your neighbor and say, sometimes I suffer for you. Okay, now turn to your neighbor and say like you're not upset about it. So you should feel honored. My wife's going to punch me later, but when we first got married and she'd get mad at me, she'd go, I love you. What do you say to that? I love you too? But, but Paul, I don't think he's saying it kind of, I love you, baby doll. He says, please don't lose heart because of my trials. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When you quote this to someone, please say it like you're not upset. Verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth, and I pray that from his glorious, unlimited, somebody shout, unlimited, unlimited, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. Somebody shout, inner strength. <laughs> Through the Spirit that... Yeah, you can shout it. Now I feel like I'm school. That was half of you. I know which one of you repeated grades. I can tell by looking at you. If you didn't know, I'm a public school teacher. Through the Spirit, verse 17, 
then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Ah, I was so good at that verse until they added, as you trust in him. The area and the depth of God in your life is equal to where you're able to trust him. Oh, sit down while I read the rest. I'm going to preach through it. I'm not going to get through it. Can you trust him in your hour of need? Can you trust him? This is a true story. No, I'm going to save it for later. I'm getting ahead of myself. The areas in your heart that you can trust him, look what it says next. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand. Oh, man, if I could breathe that into my teenagers. The power to understand. Hey, listen, could you please stop? I didn't do that. Okay, I wouldn't have said stop if you weren't doing it. Could you please come around? No, I'll go right. Okay, see this spilt water? That's why I said come around. I didn't know. That's why I told you come around. Oh, I can only imagine God's frustration when we don't understand. Give and it shall be given. How many that's ever hurt? Like at this stage of my life, I have a couple pennies. Like I'm not wealthy. But like there was a time in my life, like if the tire needed 75 cents air down at the local Conoco, I was going to be in trouble because I didn't have 75 cents. And we have a saying at my house, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar or if it's a million dollars. If you don't have it, it's the same. Now I know some of y'all, well, let me say this. Some of y'all in other churches, not here. I've heard people say, "Woo, we're really poor and we don't have any money. And then have them go sit at another table and ask someone how do they, how do they invest their $50,000 they've been saving. And I would think, I'd like to be that kind of poor. Because there's been times in my life like that we went through the cushions in the couch. How many I'm talking about? There's been times in my life that I said to the doctor as they handed me a bill, get in line. Like, oh, sir, I don't think you just understand. And what amazed me, my wife was like grabbing for her purse. Like, what you going to pay with? Uh, before you leave, you have to pay. <laughs> Thanking God we are not in Egypt in Bible time where you're about to put me in jail because we are not about to pay. Send me a bill. Now, we did eventually settle up with everybody that we owe, unless they were fraudulent, and that's another story. Just say amen. May you experience, verse 19. Well, let me stay in verse 18. May you have the power to understand. Oh. Man, it's not my sermon. I'm already 24 minutes in. The, the miracle of the power to understand. Like, I'm aware of what those who are against us say is our shortcomings. I'm aware of what they say is the history. I'm aware of what they say of the Bible. I'm aware of all of that stuff. But as you've heard me say before, it's too late to come with an argument when you have someone with an experience. And there's just been too many times in my life. I'll, I'll just give you one. I was a youth pastor again in Miami, and I was sitting in my house, and we didn't have any, there was no food in the house, literally. And I said, hey, guys, what do you want to eat? And they said, look, Pastor Craig, we know you don't have any more than us. And I said, I know, but there's like 15 of us here. God will feed us. What do we want? Let's just pray. 
I was feeling bold and hungry. And they said, well, we want Domino's pizza. All right. What do we want on it? We don't have any money, Pastor Craig. Okay, but what do we want on it? Like, because if it shows up with anchovies, we can't be mad at God. We just want pepperoni. It was in 10 minutes. One of the kids' parents showed up with four or five pepperoni pizzas. And it was so instantaneous, and it was such a miracle, and it was such a small way that God provided that not a one of them stinking kids believed that I didn't call her. <laughs> oh, you called. And this is before cell phones. Like, I carried around a beeper. Like, that's when it was. I'll tell you later what that was, Faith. That was a little beeper you call it. But sometimes God does those little miracles in your life just to say, I'm here. Verse 20. I'm still not done with 19 in mind. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Oh, now he's messing with us. I pray that you would understand. But guess what? You're not going to understand fully, which means till the day you draw your last breath, there's new depths, new heights, new things to learn. My dad, that church he pastored in Hudson, was such a, a beautiful story. A lady came and prayed for husbands for years, and he was a jerk. I mean, like California kind of jerk. I'm kidding if you're from California, unless you cut me off. I met a lady at work, and I said, where are you from? She said, from California. I said, I wouldn't be telling people that. It's a joke, kind of. If you don't understand the joke, ask him later. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We're never going to fully understand God's love because we can't experience the opposite of it to always experience the fullness of it. Oh, Lord, I'd really like to experience a great miracle. Please don't pray that. Because to experience a great miracle, you must first be in great need. I'd like to live my life from glory to glory. I know that's not possible, but that's what I'm signing up for. You do not know the heights and depths of God's love until you have experienced the opposite. Like the worst that God can do to you is ignore you, not speak to you, to pretend that you don't exist. If you're breathing, there's more. Say amen. I'm still just in the introduction. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. Say work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I don't, I hope all my students are over at the, over at the children's church. Good. A little teacher trick is when a kid's really misbehaving. You look at him and you say, look, if you don't behave, I want you to think about the worst thing that I can do to you. And I don't know what he's thinking. And I'm saying this because I've used everything I got and I don't know what I'm going to do next. And so I want you to think about the worst thing I'm going to do to you, and I want you to double it. And without fail, from kindergarten to 12th grade, they go, oh, you wouldn't. And you look them in the eye and go, I would. And you don't even know what they're talking about. So if your kid comes home from Pioneer Elementary and hears I said that, you know they were naughty. But the point is, is that our imagination can really take us places. 
And God is saying that no matter what you can think of or what you can ask, his resource, his ability, his power is greater. But it's also greater to work in us. Say amen. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, through all generations, amen, forever and ever, amen. Right about now, you're glad I let you sit down. So let me say before I go a little further, because now we're going to go quick and hopefully get to some of the illustration. This is not a theological, theological disposition on why miracles are today. This is not the exhaustive list on why signs and wonders and miracles didn't die with the last apostle. This is a, to those who are already in the choir, to those who are already of the faith, to those who are either desperate and need a miracle, to those who've ever had a miracle, to those that ever hope to experience a miracle, to those that believe that God is still a miracle worker. This is to encourage you to, A, see the miracles that God has already done in your life, testify them, and then in your hour of need, be like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. I know he's able to heal me. I know I'm able to breathe again. I know I'm able to walk again. But if I can't, I'm still going to lay on my deathbed and sing, Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Come on. But it doesn't matter. I'm still going to serve him. Say amen. So as we start to move, please keep in mind, I'm aware we've all had loss. I'm aware if you've been a Christian longer than 10 minutes, you've prayed for something that didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. I'm aware, chances are, if you're over 20, someone in your life you love has died. I'm aware. I'm aware there are those among us, such as myself, who are mourning people we've last lost in the last two years. But what good of a preacher would I be if I only told you when we were well? When I only told you when the pandemic was all the way over, when I only told you when there was no crisis, that God is a healer. It only is real and works when you need a healer, when you need a deliverer. And though we may die, come on. We're going to go shouting his praise. But until we draw our last breath, we shall proclaim God is a healer. Let me run through a couple things. I'm going to go as quick as I can. Or maybe I'll ask Corey if I can take some minutes off his sermon next week. Uh, go, to, go to the definition of the natural. This is good old Webster dictionary right off the, I think it's called Merriam and Webster now. Good old Webster Dictionary definition of natural. Existing in nature, not made, caused by man. Number two, not having any extra substances or chemicals added, not containing anything artificial. Number three, unusual or expected, normal. So the truth is, and even those of us who believe in miracles, we have to recognize that God made the heavens and the earth, and the natural law of life was put into place by God. So most of the time, if you want money, you need a job. Right? Most of the time, if you're thirsty, you need water. 
most of the time, if you want a harvest, you need to have planted. Most of the time, if you need a house, you need someone to cut down some trees. 90% of the time, every mountain in your life is going to, I shouldn't put a percentage on it. I mean, we'll go back. According to the, just the natural law that God set up, most of the time, if you need a mountain moved, it's going to happen one shovel at a time. Because most of us, if we picked up the mountain and moved the ocean, we would just drown half the country. God, believe it or not, is the God of the natural laws of life. We don't like it. I don't like it. But you were born to die. You were born to be transformed into the next life. If Jesus doesn't come in the cloud of glories, they will will you in and there will be a funeral. That is the natural order of life. You don't have to like it. You don't have to sign up for it today. But it's a coming. And when it comes, what will have remained? No one's going to care about your house. No one's going to care about your car. No one except your wife and family are going to care about your clothes. And they're only going to care about it if your casket is open. It's a coming. So the question is, first, what do we do with the natural resources that God gives us? don't have time to preach this message, but when you were born, you stood on the shoulders of all of your ancestors. Some of you stood six inches tall. Some of you stood three feet. Some of you stood negative ten inches. You don't get to pick the shoulders in which you were born upon to stand upon. You do get to pick what you do with them. And don't compare yourself to anyone other than yourself. The definition of supernatural, relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. Let me say that again. The supernatural is relating to an order of existence beyond the visible. Say beyond the visible. I've never had a vision where God came to me in body, but but I sure believe I felt him. I listened to a story, and I'm going to try to tell it quickly. Just this last week, I heard, was reminded of this story. Years ago, they were doing a, they were doing an honoring session of Jerry Lee Lewis. I only know that voice, that name. And, right in, and uh, Chris Christophorus was the host. And right in the middle of all the songs and all the honoring, all the honoring they brought out Jerry Lee's cousin. I'm not going to say his name, but if you're my age, you know who it is. And they asked him to sing a gospel song. And this is not a man without fault. This is not a man that people aren't aware of his shortcomings. But he stepped and he sat to a piano and he sang a gospel song. And the people, it was first, it was silence. The crowd didn't know what to do. And then they stood and they erupted in applause. It was the only, it was the only standing ovation of the night other than for Jerry Lee Lewis. And then Chris Christopherson stood stood to the to the podium and tried to speak and he went, uh and he stepped back and he came forward again and he went, uh and he stepped back again and he came to a third time and he said, Folks, I don't really know what to say because I have never felt 
anything like this in my life. Listen, there's something no matter who it is. When you invoke the name of Jesus upon open hearts, how many I'm talking about? You can talk about God and people don't get offended, but you say Jesus, if you're not talking about your gardener, they get upset. I'm not talking about. That's the dividing line. Heal. Uh, did I finish supernatural? Okay. Um, number two, departing from what is usual or normal, especially to appear transcend the laws of nature. So when we're asking God to do something supernatural, we're asking him to take a moment and step out of the laws that he has created to make an exception for us in the moment of a miracle. And for 99% of the Bible, he doesn't do that unless he's going to get credit and glory is going to come out of it. And I don't have time to preach it, but if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the outer gate, the inner gate, and so forth, all the way into the temple, you will find a roadmap to God's heart. He, anybody got, any else got some teenagers in their house? How many would like a little gratitude up in that place? Ooh, come on. Right? He wants you to enter his courts with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Even God wants to hear how good he is. Just amen. All right, so we're asking, supernaturals, we're asking God to do something outside of the natural order. Prayer is supernatural. Okay, that's three of you. Let's see if we do a little better on the next one. Salvation is supernatural. All right, we're getting better now. Hearing from God is supernatural. Believing in God is supernatural. Okay, to the unbeliever, it's weird. Obeying God, supernatural. All these things are supernatural. So if we say that the supernatural is no longer for us today, then we must exclude all of these things, block our prayer from heaven, close up the shop, and declare there shall be no more Christians. However, Romans 1.20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Somebody say amen. There's a God. Next, heal. Okay, the first two words are nouns. This, heal is a verb. So sometimes we use heal, miracle, sign and wonders, all the same thing. There's healed, means I'm all cured up. There's healing, I'm better than I was, but I'm not back to normal yet. Huh? And there's I need a healing. I'm pretty messed up right now. What am I talking about? Right? And I would say in my personal body right now, I'm in the healing phase in my body. The doctor's highly concerned. I don't know if you've noticed, but the last five weeks I've kind of slept in late, kind of left early, because I believe in God, but I'm not about to throw myself off a mountain and see if he'll catch me. So the doctor's very concerned if I were to get something like the common cold or if I were to get sick again. He's very concerned then the next 12 months I wouldn't be able to fight it off. And while I'm going to listen to what he has to say the best of my ability, I have a rule with myself, if you can go to work, you can go to church. I'm not saying that has to be the rule at your house. I'm just saying that's the rule inside my temple. If I'm going to work, I'm going to church. And again, no stones thrown if that's not your rule, but it's mine. Something happens here every week when I get here. Next definition, miracle. An unusual or wonderful event 
that is believed to be caused by the power of God, a divine miracle. You know that. You know it when you see one of those. But can I let you for a moment look at definition number two? Because I'm going to say you probably live in this world, this word, a lot more than you realize. A very amazing or unusual event, thing, or achievement. It's simple as I haven't killed any of my kids yet. Miracle. I'm, that's sarcasm. I wouldn't kill them and tell you. But I have learned over the years, no one can anger you like your siblings and your kids. And if you happen to get a kid that reminds you of your least favorite sibling, you're going to need some anointing up there. I know what I'm talking about. I love my kids. I do everything. You can check them over. They're good. But you know what I mean. Are these things for today? I'm not going to read it all. I'm not going to go over. But if you look at our text, verses 15 through 17 really talk about the nature of order. Verses 18 and 19 talk about the supernatural. Like if you've ever, I've really loved the, te- the testimony of our sister here in the front row because she wrapped up it up and I got a word. See, in your hour of need, if you can get a word, look, however sick you are this morning, you might not get healed on this side, but you will in eternity. So the question is not, are we going to be healed? It's when. Every now and then my wife will say, I'm glad you beat that thing. Well, I ain't beat it yet. Like, like I, I can still tell I'm not healed. I'm healing. I'm not on death's bed, and I sure was. But I'm, I'm still in the process. How many of you are still in the process? Verses, 10, verses 20 and 21 talk about the miracle verses. And then I just threw a bunch of verses at you. And except for the first verses, are they throwing them up? Yeah. Except for Acts 2.22, when that's one apostle talking about Jesus did. All of these verses are about miracles, signs and wonders, and all of them happen from God using a person. Say amen. Last, but don't get excited. I'm still going to take about 10 more minutes at least. It would have been okay if you didn't groan. The testimony, the testimony of miracles, Hebrews 2, verse 4, God also testified with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. I'm not going to take the time this morning to talk about divine healing and Isaiah 52 and 53. We're not talking about that this morning. But we are going to take balance and say, if you're going to be a miracle seeker, you have to be a God lover when only the miracle worker shows up and if he doesn't bring the miracle. However... Knowing that he is a God who gives good gifts, sometimes the miracle does show up. And if you're in your hour of need, when doctors have done all that they can do, who do you want to call? Someone who's believing in miracles or someone who says those things are dead? Acts 2, chapter 40, uh, uh, verses 43. Everyone kept a feeling of sense and awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. I'm going to try to do this as quick as possible. But I like to think of us that we're vessels. We're like a vase. Or we're like a glove. 
And, and sometimes I've prayed for people, and, and, and God touch them, and the little kid, little kid will turn to their mom and say, that man healed you. And I'll say, no, I've never healed a fly of a headache. But God is someone who believes anything's possible. So I call this the golf anointing, the golf power. First time I took my dad golfing, I was a dummy. I bought him a brand-new set of golf clubs. He'd never been golfing. He was in his 50s. It was just a few years before he died. I didn't take him to the golf range. I didn't give him any lessons. I just took him right to the course because I'm a dummy. And worse than that, I took him on a holiday weekend, and they fit us in in the middle of a tournament. So our first hole was the 10th hole. And he used every, my dad was a minister, as I said, he used every Christian cuss word those first nine holes. Dirty viper, white sepulcher. I mean, he was reaching way back to Pharisees and Sadducees. And he at one point looked at me and said, I was born poor, I'm going to die poor, and this is a rich man's game. And what he didn't know, and what I didn't even consciously know, is that my dad was good at a lot of things. Um, but he didn't fish. He didn't hunt. Like, he, would, he taught me how to throw a baseball, and that was meaningful to me. But, like, we really didn't let him spend a lot of time doing anything other than church stuff. And church stuff is great, but, like, he's still my dad. And so I thought maybe I lived three or four hours away from we could share this. So we get done with the first nine, and we come to the first hole. And I say, we'll come to the, the 18th hole, which is our ninth hole. And he hits one in the brush. And neither he nor I knew that when he stepped into the brush, he would fall immediately down to his knees, tip forward and like a cartoon, spring back up with mud all over the front of his face. And he looked at me, and if I hadn't had my own car I, and been an adult, I would have run, because that's the I'm going to beat your bottom look on his face. And so he's like, come pull me out. And he didn't think it was funny, but when I handed him my golf club to pull him out, I started singing, he brought me out of the miry clay. He looked at me, and I said, do you want me to let go? <laughs> so I just knew, like, we're never going golfing again. So we're done. We get to the first hole. We got nine more to go, and I say, Dad, the only fun we've had today is me laughing at you. Like, you're not having any fun. I tried. I'm not upset. Thanks for trying it. Like, let's go home. No! We paid. I don't know why you meant by We. We paid for 18 holes. I'm doing 18 holes because I'm never going to do this again. You go first. Dead to the first hole, which was his 10th. If you're a golfer, you know what this means. He pulled back, took a swing, and the ball and the club met in the sweet spot, and it went ping. And he turned and he went, oh, my God, it's the greatest game ever. <laughs> and for the next four or five years of his life, whenever we could, we played golf. And I often thought, what if after the miry clay, he had quit and not experienced the ping? Look, there are many reasons to quit church. There are many if you're going to do it, don't do it in your hour of need. Now, I suggest you don't do it in your hour of greatness either because you'll be back in your hour of need. 
Before I move on, most a lot of golf, a lot of golf clubs have this little circle. This is very important because they don't show this a lot on TV. And this is the power that you need to work through you. Whenever you see a par three and those guys get up there, they let you see the ball go. They let you see it hit on the green. And they let you see roll close to victory. And the golfer will even walk over if the occasion calls for it, take the marker off his glove, pick up his ball, and mark the spot. Now listen, not that he landed where he ended up. Now, now if you'll listen, it's going to be lost on you. He marks the spot he ended up. He goes back with a T to the spot he landed on the green. And they don't show this on television. And he breaks up the grass and he cuts it up where the ball landed so that the grass will grow again. So if you're going to get close to the hole, you're going to have some times where the grass is going to be cut up so it will grow again. Just say amen. When we first got married, we first got married, we lived in a picturesque holiday town called Camden. It wasn't our kind of town. They literally, we literally would walk around the streets of Camden, and people would look at us and go, oh, you're one of those. What? Is it tattooed on my head? I finally stopped somebody and said, what does one of those mean? Oh, you're one of them Jesus freaks. All right, guilty. And we honeymooned. I mean, I had a job that I would go, and I'd work three days a week and have four days a week off. And then I'd work four days a week and have three days off. And we just Christian partied. We did all the things that honeymooners want to do that we're not allowed to talk about in church. It was great, a wonderful time. And it produced pregnancy. Hello. And Jamie started having complications. We went to the doctor. And they said, yeah, it's not looking good. Went back to the doctor. It's looking worse. Went back to the doctor again. And they brought us to this little spa. They said, Mr. Shorey, do you see that thing that looks like a lima bean? Yes, sir. That's your child. And I could tell you, even though I needed Jesus, even though I knew Jesus and I'd preached the gospel, I needed to get the dishwashing anointing. I needed him to wash me again. I needed to feel him again. Like, why? How many have ever needed that? You know Jesus, but you need to be washed again. Eleven days later, I'm, we're family, right? Okay, eleven days later, I wanted a nap. The only way I was going to get a nap, well, you know, we were newlyweds. Found out eleven days later, when I just wanted a nap in between church services, we conceived what we now call grace. And the first time we went to the doctor, the doctor looked at me and said, how did this happen? And I said, Doc, if you made it all the way through medical school and you don't know how this happened, I will be happy to tell you how this happened. But just for the record, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> and then, and then life starts getting a little hot. The pressures start coming on. And you go, 
We. Like, we live in a little apartment. Like, we live in a little apartment that if I weighed this amount now, when we first got married, my backside would have burnt every shower. How many of you know those first apartments and houses? And, and things started feeling hot. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And sometimes in your life, the pressures will get to you. And you need to, I got to get through the pressure anointing. But you can't have really nice apple pie if you don't stick it in a fire. <laughs> then there were times after we got in a ministry that we traveled in. I know you hear this a lot from guest speakers, but for 10 years we, really, we went to church, but we didn't really have a church that felt like home because they just all felt cold. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm headed to the end, and the more amen you send, the quicker I'm going to get there. There are times that even though you know Jesus is real, and you come to church, it might as well be watching wet paint dry. It's just cold. Nothing seems to work. Nothing seems to happen the way it's supposed to be. You go to, you go to testimony service, and you don't leave happy for the sister who got a brand new home. You leave ticked off because your home's still falling apart. You don't get happy that somebody got a miracle because you're too sick. How long have I been there? Well, I have found that after every cold season comes a service season. I'm not going to put them on for the sake of time because I'll just make the story longer while I put it on. But I have found that when things are coldest in your life, this is the time where you need the service anointing. How do I find somebody worse than me and pray for them? How do I serve at the church? How do I make sure that I can't trick myself into not going to church? How do I trick myself into going? You serve. Then there comes times where you got to have the garden glove anointing, where you got to plant stuff. You got to go get that education. You got to start off as that apprentice. You got to be the low man on the totem pole. You got to start somewhere digging. And then, and then, and then you'll see these are my mother's law and they're dirty for a reason because these are called work gloves. This is what dignified people wear when they don't want calluses. And even though, even though you had the golf anointing and the golf miracle and the dishwasher and the oven and the cold and the service and you planted some, you still got to work. And then, and then the worst anointing of all time, don't pray for it, it's the medical glove anointing. This is where life puts you in secret places where God is going to touch them private parts in your spiritual life that you know your spouse doesn't know you're doing, your pastor doesn't know you're doing. Ooh, it's getting quiet up in here. This is the part when God really gets to the intimate parts of your life and says, if you're going, if you're going to really feel the depths and heights and love of who I am, that might not be sin for your neighbor, but for you, you got to cut that out. Just say amen. And then I'm going to try with all that's in me to end with this one. This is the most difficult anointing because if you pull it out at the wrong time, you will kill someone. I'll, just, I'll give you a quick example, and then I'll give you a longer one. I had a boss who treated me dirty, and I went in, and I told him off. I fought with him, and then they fixed it and gave me everything I want. Then I got a new boss, and they did me more dirty than the first boss. And I went in with my boxing glove anointing, and I told them off. And they demoted me and took away everything I wanted. 
and I realized later that you have to have the wisdom to know the difference because the service glove and the boxing glove go together. I don't have time, but actually official boxers, before they put on a boxing glove, what do they do? They wrap their hand. They get the referee to sign it. Say, yes. They get a, they get a doctor to clear them. Oh, I could preach this for an hour. Don't get worried, I'm not. All kinds of things happen before you're allowed to put on the boxing glove anointing. But there are times, and I could give you ten, I'm just going to give you one. I walked out of, this is a true story, every bit of it. I walked out of a basketball game, and there was two or three messages from my wife. And I knew she didn't care that much if we won or lost. So something was up. We called her. She said, I'm at such and such hospital with the baby. Get here quick. I got there, and there's my baby. I decided not to show you the picture. So if I showed you the picture, you wouldn't get out of your face. She's in every tube. She's wrapped up. She's got stuff in her nose. How old is she? She's eight months. Doc comes in and says, look, this is not children's hospital. We're going to we're going to transfer her to the children's hospital. I said, Doc, how far away is that? He said, it's eight miles. I said, okay. Doc, we're teachers. That eight-mile ambulance trip is going to be 20% of my take-home pay. So I want my daughter for the year. I want my daughter to get the best care. But if I can take her in my car or she doesn't have to go, like, ambulance rides aren't free down at this end of the pole, Doc. He put his hand on my shoulder. Doctors don't usually touch you. He looked me in the eye and he said, Mr. Shorey, I don't think you know how sick your daughter is. Okay, sir. Whatever you say. I'll spare you the details, but an hour later, we took her home. God walked in that hospital room. I don't know what he did, but we didn't take her to the other place. But we fought and we said, okay, we're going to fight this moment. You all know that I was really, really sick. And I've seen it in other people, but I've never laid and felt a life leaving me. And there's five days I hardly remember. My wife had to wash every gross thing you could think about. I couldn't make it to the tub. I had to kind of learn to walk again. It was disastrous. And in the middle of that, the only place that I could find comfort is our tub happens to have a 45-degree angle. And I'm not going to tell you any more about my tub in case you like it because I'm not going to let you use it. The Bible says if you have two tubs, lend it to your brother, not one. I got two. Like, I got one like that. But, the, but it was at a perfect 45-degree angle, and I'd get the water as hot as I could get it, and I'd get in not knowing how I was going to get out, and I'd just lay there. And one night I couldn't, I, I couldn't speak. My oxygen was at 5 on a scale of 1 to 10. And my wife told me later, stop telling people that, that oxygen only went to 5. I didn't tell you it didn't go to 10 so that you wouldn't know you were so near death. I laid there weeks on 5 thinking I was halfway. I'd say to her, she'd say, hey, uh, I'm going to try to go to the bathroom. Can you turn that up to 7? She'd go, do what I can. There was no 7. I laid in that hospital. I laid in that, I laid in that tub. I went to the hospital twice. I wanted to send me to a COVID ward. I thought, I'm near 50. 
as long as I can make it on this oxygen, I'm going to fight as long as possible. And just as a side note here, I just want to say, if you haven't loved anyone of the medical staff lately, please do. Like, the hospital here were fabulous to me. I don't want to embarrass her because I know this goes on YouTube, but I went to the hospital, and there was a nurse there who was just wonderful. In fact, as a side note, she's asking me all those questions, and I look at her, and I say, and, and, and I've never had this said to me before. I look at her, and I go, wait, am I in trouble here? And she says, well, let's see how you respond. And I'm playing in my head the story I told you at the beginning about my friend Tara. This is my third trip. She couldn't breathe. Like, this is eating at me. I get home, and I'm laying in that tub, and I can feel the life of me leaving. I, I, start, I start looking at all the marker points and the anointing gloves that have been used, and I say, well, I wanted, I wanted my ears, and I wanted my dad's ears. And then I think the devil stole. Stand to your feet. But if I die here at 48, I've had a good life. For the most part, I've done everything I wanted to do. I've had a nice family. I've had a nice life. I've accomplished many things that I wanted to accomplish. And I thought my wife would be fine. She's a catch. And then I started thinking about my kids. And I thought, oh, Gracie's already not overly excited that we moved her her senior year. And then I thought about faith. And I thought, there's still so much I need to ground her for. <laughs> if you're on Facebook, see my latest post about Faith, and you know we're really proud of her and how hard she's worked. And I'm like, I just, I just know one of them stinking valley boys with a girl who just lost her dad doesn't sit well with me. But not the ones that love Jesus. Come on. We were all boys. And then I think of my five-year-old, and I think, man, that's a long time to live without a dad. And I couldn't speak. And I couldn't move. And so I just laid there in my tub, and I put up one hand. And it actually made me think when I was a kid of Hulk Hogan, when he would wrestle and he's just about to pass out. It's a one finger. And all I could do was sing in my head. I surrender. I surrender. Here I am, God. No, I can't even get on my knees. I'm stuck in my tub. But I'm in need of you again. God, if you'll help me, I'll, I'll, I'll get up and I'll fight as hard as I can. But you got to tell me if I don't make it that you will fulfill your promise in Psalms that says that you will be the father to the fatherless because I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I moseyed back into bed. I lay down. I felt worse than I'd ever felt. My wife pulled the covers off me, looked at me dead in the eye and said, you are not dying. Get up. I don't want to get up. Look at me! You are getting up. You are not moving me to my hometown and dying. I went 15 days and didn't even touch one of my kids. Five days, I don't remember. Without Jesus and Jamie, I'd be dead. But I'm alive. I'm not whole yet. In fact, you just watched an amazing event. That's the longest. That's the first time I've stood longer than five minutes. 
since August. And I know I'm a little longer than normal, but I hope you get two things from this morning. One, there's strength if the miracle doesn't come. And two, miracles do still come. Sometimes the miracle is you get through the situation when the miracle doesn't come. But it's an amazing event. And as Christians, I hope that you will take stock of different, and I could have told you 30 stories. But if you'll take stock in those moments when you had those different anointing and that power working in you in those different gloves, and mark them down and write them down and make a testimony and say, look, sometimes Rose has a thorn. Sometimes there's three days in the tomb before there's the resurrection. But for the believer, whether it be on this side or that side, our miracle shall come.